Let's turn to 2 Corinthians uh, 4. We've been talking about the spirit of faith, and we're going to continue along these lines today. 2 Corinthians 4, and um, later we'll, in a few minutes, we'll go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and 11, but we want to start out here in 2 Corinthians 4, and in verse 7, uh, Paul describes the spirit of faith. Uh, he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We, were, we are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Verse 13, he goes on to say, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. We've talked about how we have the same spirit of faith Abraham had when he looked up at the stars and God said, so shall your seed be. And Abraham believed God. We have the same spirit of faith Moses had when he stretched out his rod over the sea. We have the same spirit of faith David had when he ran, he ran yeah. uh, toward Goliath with a slingshot uh, telling him that he was going to take his head off. Not only Goliath, but the whole army. And that's exactly what he did. He called things that are not as though they were. He told Goliath what he was going to do before he even did it. We have the same spirit of faith Jesus had when he cast out demons, when he spoke to the wind and the water, when he healed the sick. That We have the same spirit of faith that's an overcoming, fighting spirit, a conquering, never-give-up attitude. This is the spirit of faith that we have. The spirit of faith is the spirit of victory. Now, let's turn over to uh, Hebrews 10, where we've been studying. And in verse, um, here in Hebrews 10 and 11, we're talking about faith. And we're looking at examples of what faith looks like and what faith sounds like. Mm -hmm. In verse 35, it says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence or your faith, Confidence is a faith word, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience or endurance, that after ye have done 
the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition or destruction, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So we've seen that drawing back is the opposite of faith. Faith does not draw back. What does faith do? Faith steps out. Faith steps out. And that's the first quality or characteristic of faith that we have studied here um, is that faith does not draw back. It's the opposite of drawing back. Faith steps out. And in James 2.26 it says, Faith without works or corresponding action is dead faith. But living faith has a corresponding action that accompanies what we believe. Living faith has a corresponding action that accompanies what you believe. So, are you believing God for something? And we all are. So, as far as we are able, we need to be stepping out in that direction in some way, however God leads us. But we need to be stepping out in that direction in some way. But first of all, we need to know that we have heard from God, that we're not just kind of stepping out on our own, but we know we've heard from God in this area. We know he's leading us in this area. And once we've settled that, then we need to uh, step out in, in however way we're able to, we need to step out in that direction. And after that, you don't really need to know anything else. You just need to know you've heard from God and begin to step out in that direction. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, he, he continues. Uh, he doesn't change the subject here. He says, now faith is the substance or the foundation of things being hoped for or expected. If you have uh, Bible hope is an expectation that what you are believing for is happening for you now. That's Bible hope. So faith is the foundation that does not draw back, it does not move, and it brings into reality the things we continue to expect. So this, this expectation is not a one-time thing when it says that faith is a substance of things hoped for. It, it's being hoped for. It's being hoped for. Amen. Hallelujah. We continue to expect the evidence, the evidence of things not seen. So when you're in faith about something, it is not seen and it's not yet. 
In other words, you don't see it yet, you don't feel it yet, you can't touch it yet in the physical realm. We pray, we believe, we receive in our heart that we have it, but in the physical realm, it's not yet. So when we're in faith about something, it's not seen yet, it's not felt yet, but we believe. We believe before we see it. And that's where faith comes in. Verse 2, For by it the elders obtained a good report. So these, these uh, Old Testament believers recorded here in this chapter, God approved of them because of their faith. It's their faith that caused God to have their names recorded in this book and in this Bible for us as examples. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So we talked about um, uh, Abel and his offering last time and we saw that uh, the reason God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's offering was faith. Abel had giving faith. So we've seen, we're seeing uh, each of these individuals, we're seeing them express their faith and demonstrate their faith in different areas. They had faith to believe God in different areas for different things. So we've seen that faith steps out. We've seen that faith expects what we're believing to happen. And we see from Abel that faith gives. It takes faith to give. And Abel not, not only uh, just gave, he gave with a thankful, cheerful, willing heart, and he gave the best that he could at the time. So Abel had faith to give. Uh, you know, we work hard for our money. It's not something that we just want to give up lightly. Um, you know, it's, it's a tendency of the flesh to want to hang on to it. So it takes, it takes some faith to give to God. And we saw that Abel cheerfully, willingly, he gave his best sheep. He went out and chose the best one, the cleanest, the whitest, the friendliest one. He went out and picked his favorite sheep, the one that won the gold ribbon at every county fair. He had the best sheep at the county fair every year, and that's the sheep, the best one he went and chose, and he said, I want to give this one to God. And it so impressed God, his faith to do that, that God accepted it, and here we are, 6,000 years later, still talking about Abel's offering and how God accepted it and how it, it really moved God when he saw him demonstrate his faith like this. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. So in the last session we saw that Enoch had fellowship with God faith. 
He had walking closely to God faith. And he got so, he walked so closely with God that uh, he got out there one day and he just didn't come back. And it appears that God had spoken to him at some point that he would not die, that he would not ever physically die. And Enoch believed that. He had faith to believe that he would never die, and he didn't. He didn't. He was just taken. He was, he's the first rapture, the first person raptured off this earth. And, and as we know, there have been, uh, you know, we're going to be in another rapture. There have been other people. Elijah was raptured off the earth. So there have been previous raptures, and we're going to be involved in one uh, in the future. Verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe two things. One, that God exists, that he is, and that God exists. And number two, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Many people, even unbelievers, believe that God exists, but not so many believe that God is a rewarder. And that part comes difficult for people, even many Christians find it very difficult to believe that God is a rewarder, he's a good God, uh, that he wants the best for us. Uh, God and the devil have not changed places. God's not working for the devil. Uh, he's not doing the devil's dirty work for him. God and the devil don't work together. Uh, God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It goes on to say um, in verse 7, this is where we come up to today. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. So there's, a, there's those words again, not seen as yet. God warned Noah about things not seen as yet. And this takes us back to our definition of faith in verse 1, is faith is believing something that's not seen and not yet. Noah had to believe something that was not seen yet. God warned him what was going to happen. And it says, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Now underline or circle the word prepared. Moving with fear, Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And this brings us to the fifth example or characteristic of faith and how faith acts. Noah prepared. Noah prepared. Faith gets ready. Faith prepares for what we're believing. Faith prepares for what God has said is going to happen. And faith prepares in advance when there's no physical evidence that it's ever going to happen. This is what Noah did. Faith gets ready. How do we know that Noah believed God? 
How do we know that Noah had faith? He prepared. He started preparing for what God said was going to happen before there was ever any evidence that was, it was going to happen. God warned him about something that had never ever happened before. They had never seen it before, but yet he believed God that it would happen and he began to take steps of faith and he began to prepare as if it was going to happen. And this is why this man's name is in the book. By faith, uh, he had no natural evidence, but Noah believed what God said. Uh, not only uh, God spoke to him about this flood and how he was going to destroy uh, all of mankind except for Noah and his family, eight people. Every human and every living creature would be destroyed. This is something um, that had, uh, had not happened yet and it had never happened before. Nothing like this had ever happened before. They had never even seen rain before. Genesis 2, 5 and 6 tells us that up to that time, God had created this natural sprinkling system in the earth where a mist would just rise up and, and um, water the earth with exactly the right amount of moisture. It wasn't too wet. It wasn't too dry. It, the temperature was perfect. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. Uh, really, Adam and Eve didn't really need any shelter because there was, there was no bad weather to get in from. There were no storms. There were no tornadoes. There were no high winds. No rain. They had never seen rain. It didn't need to rain because God had created this mist which was a natural type sprinkling system to moisturize the earth. And even in its fallen state, the earth is a magnificent, beautiful spectacle of God's creation. And one day in the near future, God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to find out what it was like to live in that perfect condition, just like Adam and Eve did, where the weather was perfect, the temperature was perfect, no more wrinkles, no more counting calories, no, nothing uh, like that. We're going to find out exactly what this earth was like before sin came in. So Noah had never even seen rain, much less a worldwide flood. This was a totally foreign concept to him, but he believed yeah. God, and he prepared. That's how we know he had faith. That's how we know he believed God. He began to take steps to prepare for what God said was going to happen, even though he had no natural evidence for it. There is a debate over how long it took Noah to build the ark. The Bible doesn't tell us, but probably decades. Yeah. Probably decades. And this was a massive 
project that required a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of money. It involved his entire family. This was a family project that, that probably consumed their lives for decades. They worked on the ark every day, except the Sabbath, of course, every uh, week, every month, every year. Years went by, and they were working on the ark day after day, no rain. More years went by, still preparing the ark, still no rain. Decades go by. They're still out there hammering, working on the ark, and they still have not seen one drop of rain. This took faith. I mean, this took faith. It took faith to keep preparing and keep preparing yeah. yes. and keep preparing. And yes. this is why Noah's name is in this book and in this chapter. In 2 Peter 2.5, he calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. He was the only one left, really. He and his family were the only ones. In Genesis 6, it describes the ungodly condition of society at that time. I mean, it, it had gotten so bad, God just said, that's it. You know, Noah, I, I'm sparing you and your family, but that's it. The, these people have corrupted my whole creation. And, and this is it. I'm starting all over with you. We, we know all of society was rebelling against God. And, and Noah and his family were the only righteous people who were serving God and obeying God. So you know all of society was ridiculing him for what he was doing. They were laughing at him. They were mocking him. You know his family, he and his family were the brunt of every joke in town. You know, crazy Noah. He think, First of all, he thinks he hears from God. He thinks God talks to him. And, and he thinks... You know, he, he, he thinks uh, it's going to rain, and, and uh, what's rain, you know? And, and they would say to Noah, when they'd see Noah out there day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, building this ark, which really was a wooden uh, box. It was a, a wood. It wasn't a. It wasn't a ship like a sailing vessel. It wasn't really meant for sailing. It was just a wooden warehouse, and God gave him real specific instructions on how to make it and, and the size of it and so forth. So people would see him out there week after week, his whole family building this ark, and all these ungodly people laughing and mocking him, and they would say. Uh, Hey, crazy Noah, what, what are you doing? And he said, I'm preparing an ark. An ark? What's an ark? Uh, and he said, well, it's a floating warehouse. Oh, uh, well, what are you doing that for? He said, I'm preparing. And they said, preparing for what? And, and he said, well, God told me to prepare this wooden box because uh, I need to save my family because God's going to flood this earth with water 
that's going to destroy every person and every living creature. And they said, oh, a flood. So that's what a flood is. You're saying, you're saying water is going uh, to destroy uh, every living thing on this earth. Uh, and so you're getting ready for that. And you know they had a big laugh and a big hoorah as they ridiculed him. Um, but they stayed in faith and they kept preparing in the light of all the jokes and all the mocking. They continued to stay in faith and they kept preparing. He put his action to what he believed by preparing for it in advance. We know that uh, water not only came from above the earth, but water erupted from underneath the earth. And it erupted with such force that uh, scientists who believe in creation tell us that this water erupted from underneath the earth with such force it actually broke the earth apart. And this is how the continent separated yeah. from one another. So this was a huge, it, it wasn't just a little sprinkle of rain. This was a, a massive deluge of water that just exploded wow. uh, and, and destroyed the, the you know, mount, mountains and everything. And, and uh, so we know how God told Noah to prepare. And don't you know they were glad they were in that ark uh, when that happened? Uh, the Bible says that God shut them in. God shut them in there. And you know when this happened, all, all these people that have been laughing and mocking and ridiculing, you know they ran as fast as they could to try to get in that ark. And I bet if they ever find the ark, I bet if they were to do DNA studies on that wood, I bet they would find people's skin and fingernails probably embedded into that wood, remnants of their skin and fingernails clawing, trying to get in the door of that ark once they saw what, what was happening. And it was too late. It was too late. They were not ready. They were not prepared. Noah, Noah was the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were full of unbelief. Which, which goes on to say here, in verse 7, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So Noah, not only his act of faith, not only saved his family, it also condemned the world. In other words, Noah's faith, it exposed the unbelief in the people around him. All those people in the world, in town, that were mocking him, laughing at him, joking at him, it, his act of faith exposed their unbelief and made them look bad. 
And faith always makes unbelief look bad. And it, it upsets people who are in unbelief. It upsets them when they see other people acting in faith because they, they could do the same thing. It, it exposes their lack of faith and, and it demonstrates that they could be doing the same thing that the people in faith are doing. So uh, all these other people, all the ungodly people, they could have done what Noah did. They could have repented. Yes. They could have believed God and they could have avoided the judgment that was coming. Yes, and they did not. So in that sense, what Noah did condemned them. It condemned the unbelieving world. The uh, easy-to-read version says, with his faith, Noah showed that the world was wrong. Everybody else was wrong, and he was the only one that was right. That's very big. Yeah. When you refuse, when, when we refuse to uh, cooperate and join in the, the carnal lifestyle and sinful lifestyle of the world, we show them that they are wrong. And it, it convicts them. Our, our godly lives should be convicting people around us who are not living right and they're not living for God. And it should convict them that they are wrong. Uh, and then when they see that we're living a godly life, uh, they don't have any excuses because they could be doing the same thing. They could repent. They could believe God. They could obey God. They could serve God just like, you know, the rest of us. But, um, you know, we become living proof that you don't have to live that way. And it doesn't make us better than them or superior to them, but, um, uh, you know, our godly life just shows that we, we live in the same world, we have the same temptations, but through Jesus and the Holy Spirit within us, we're able to overcome those temptations and live above, uh, live above the sin in the world. So when people see our godly lives, they don't have an excuse anymore, and it convicts them. Uh, we can't isolate ourselves from the world. We know we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But if we take part and we join in the sinful uh, activities of people around us, it, it gives them comfort. It doesn't convict them. It, it makes them comfortable in their sin because they're thinking, well, they're Christians, and they're, they're doing what I'm doing. It must be okay. They're doing it too. So, so if we join in their sinful lifestyle, we're comforting them. We're not convicting them. And our lives, we should be different. Our lives should be different from, from sinners and people who have a lifestyle. I'm talking about a lifestyle of, of sinning and living in sin. Um, there should be a difference between, between us. So, you know, sometimes Christians think, well, if I 
you know, if I join them in what they're doing, I, I, can reach, I can reach them for Jesus. You know, I can get them saved. You know, if I go out and get drunk with them, I'm just trying to get them saved. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to evangelize by going out you know, and uh, if I sit down and watch this triple X rated movie with them, I'm really just trying to evangelize them and get them saved. No, it doesn't work that way. We're, we're not convicting them when we join them in their sin. We're comforting them. We're comforting them and we're basically telling them that what they're doing is okay because we've joined them. So there should be a notable distinction between us and the world. And the Living Bible brings this out. It says, Noah's belief in God was in direct contrast to the sin and disbelief of the rest of the world which refused to obey. So when you refuse to join in the unbelief of others, you expose their lack of faith. And it usually upsets them. It usually upsets people. The New Living Version says, His faith made him hear God speak, and he obeyed. In this way, Noah showed the world how sinful it was. You remember back in Numbers 13 when they sent the 12 spies into the Promised Land to, to survey it and search it out? Uh, and when they returned, you remember 10 of them gave a report about the walled cities and the giants and, uh, you know, all the, the negative aspect, all their enemies that were occupying the land there. And Joshua and Caleb, they, they did not deny any of those things. They, uh, they all went to the same place. They all saw the same thing. So they didn't deny the giants or the wall cities, but they said they had a different viewpoint. They said God is with us. Their, their, uh, their defense is gone. They'll be bread for us. Let's go. Let's go take them. God is with us. That's the spirit of faith. Joshua and Caleb had the spirit of faith. They had this conquering, overcoming, never give up attitude that God is with us and he'll be with us, and he's not with them. Uh, but when they said that, what happened? The whole congregation wanted to stone them. The whole congregation took up rocks wanting to stone them. Why? Because Joshua and Caleb's faith exposed their lack of faith. And it exposed their unbelief to the point that it made them so mad they wanted to kill them. So, so they, they made them, the whole congregation, look bad. So when, when people are in unbelief, they don't like to be around people in faith. They don't want to hear what God can do. They don't want to hear, uh, you know, faith talk. Uh, so... This is what Noah, this is how Noah condemned the world uh, by his act of faith and preparing uh, the ark for the saving of his family. So what if Noah had not been ready? What if he had said, like many people do, well, I'll tell you what, 
We'll just wait and see what the weather forecast is. We'll just wait and see if it looks like it's going to rain. And then we'll think about getting prepared. We'll think about building this thing, but we're just gonna wait and see uh, what happens. Because, uh, you know, when I, when I see uh, some clouds forming, and, uh, you know, when we start feeling some drops of water hit us, then, then we'll have faith and we'll believe what God said, and then we'll start getting ready. Well, um, if you're talking about a project that takes decades, um, how are you going to get ready? How are you going to get ready if it's already starting to rain? It's too late. If you're getting ready, you're not ready. So that's what would have happened if Noah had, had waited uh, and just, just been led by his physical senses and said, well, when I see it, I'll believe it. No, he believed God when there was no evidence of it at all. Uh, he started preparing when there was no physical evidence and he believed that what God said was going to happen. That's why his name's in this book. Amen. So if people are trying to get ready, they're not ready. <laughs> and it's too, too late. Now, in light of this, let's turn over to uh, Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And let's look at this for a moment. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. So the the five that were foolish, they took uh, enough oil in their lamps to keep their lamps burning for a while, but they didn't take an extra container of oil. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So the wise ones not only had their lamps full of oil, they took an extra container of oil, an extra supply of oil with them. So this, this is another example. Faith prepares. Faith gets ready. That's, that's the moral of this story. One of the points of this story is that faith gets ready, faith prepares. This event was so, why did they take extra oil with them? Because this event was so important to them, they prepared in advance in case there was a delay. Verse 5 says, While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. So this tells us there was a delay. It says the bridegroom delayed. So um, because the wise 
had taken extra oil with them, they were prepared. They, they were in no distress, they were in no trouble, they weren't panicking because they were prepared for a delay. They took extra oil with them. And sure enough, there was a delay. The bridegroom tarried. So this tells us they were prepared to wait as long as it took. They were prepared to wait as long. This is so important. We don't want to miss it. And we're prepared to, we're prepared to stay in faith. We're prepared, prepared to keep confessing. We're, compared, we're prepared to keep standing. We're prepared to keep believing till this comes to pass. And we're not going to give up. So, in a sense, Noah did the same thing. He was prepared to wait for the long haul. And in a sense, he took his lunch with him, yes. you know, in case there was a delay. Yes. And, and the foolish ones here in this story, the foolish ones, they expected the bridegroom, bridegroom to come quickly. So they were, they were prepared to, to wait a little while. Uh, they, they were prepared to, to stand for a while. They were prepared to confess the word for a while. They were prepared to believe God for a while. But they didn't take any extra oil with them. They were not prepared for a delay. So when their lamps went out, that was it. That was it. They weren't ready. And many Christians, you know, they'll wait for a while, they'll believe a while, they'll confess a while, they'll stand a while, but when it looks like it's not going to happen, they quit waiting. And they're not prepared to wait as long as it takes to see the fulfillment of what God said. Um, and verse... Um, Six goes on to say, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. Oh, bless Why? Because they weren't prepared. I feel sorry for them. They weren't prepared for a delay they weren't prepared it wasn't important enough to them to take extra in case there was a delay yeah. and uh, in a time of need you can't always rely on somebody else's preparation and that's what these people yes. these five foolish yeah, they, ones they, really, they, yeah. they were trying to rely yeah. on the preparation yeah. of the yeah. wise ones yeah. and and guess what it, uh, it goes to, on to say verse 9 the wise answer saying not not so lest there be not enough for us and you but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves so now they 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 weren't prepared so now they're trying to get prepared they're trying to get ready when the bridegroom has already come and they've gone off to get ready and verse 10 says, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in yeah. with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. So who was, who was ready in this story? 
the wise ones. The wise ones, they're the ones that got taken. They're the ones that got to go in. So this story also tells us, and along with, with uh, Noah's story, that God uses people who are prepared. There are Christians who want to be used by God, but they make no preparation. And, uh, you know, they want to avoid this time of preparation at all costs. Uh, you know, Jesus talked about uh, those that are faithful in little will be made faithful over much. Yes, and and these this time of preparation, yes. when you're working for someone else, yes. maybe some, someone else in business or someone else in ministry, and you're doing all this menial work, and they hand you a broom, and they tell you to go out and sweep sweep the sidewalk or sweep the front of the church or mop the floor or clean the bathroom or set up the book table or, or whatever. These, these things that are not up front, they're all in the background. Nobody sees all your hard work. Nobody sees what you're doing. You're not up front. Uh, this is a time of preparation and God is using this time of preparation to see are you faithful in these little things? Are you faithful in things, doing things properly um, and honorably when nobody's looking at you? When you're behind the scenes and nobody can see, do you cut corners or do you do it properly? Uh, are you uh, willing to do it? Or do you go into a strop every time somebody asks you to do something that you think's beneath, beneath you? Uh, all this is preparation time, and many Christians, they want to avoid this preparation time. They don't want to have to prove themselves faithful in little things. They just want to start at the top. Mm -hmm. And they want an upfront position where everybody sees them, and, and they say, oh, you know, if you just gave me a position up front with a lot of responsibility, I would be faithful. And Jesus says, no, you would not. If you have not been faithful uh, in a time of preparation uh, in little things, you will not be faithful and prepared for the bigger things. And this is, this is just the way it is. Um, you know, many people, many Christians, they just sit back and they wait for an opportunity. Uh, but if they had one today, they wouldn't be prepared for it because they've never put their hand to anything else. They've never helped anybody else. They've never started at the bottom and worked their way up and allowed God to see their faithfulness and promote them. So they just continue to, to sit back and uh, complain that God's not using them. Well, they're, doing, they're not doing anything to prepare themselves for God to use them. Brother Hagen said, days of preparation are never wasted. Days of preparation are never wasted. So we can see why God used Noah. He had faith to prepare when he had no physical evidence of rain. 
So when the waters of the earth broke uh, forth, uh, underneath the earth broke forth, the water began to pour down from the sky. Noah and his family were in the ark and they were ready for it. They weren't trying to get ready, they were already ready. So another point of this story is that one of the best things you can do for your family is to obey and serve God with all your heart. Noah's Faith and his obedience saved his family. And one of the best things that we can do for our families, it, it, you may not think you know, our lives affect the rest of our family, but they can. How we live our lives, how we obey and serve God, to what degree we obey and serve God, is one of the best things that we can do for our families. They will see our faith. They will see our faithfulness. They will see how God blesses us. Yes. So for those people outside, in Noah's day, it was too late to get ready, and they got left out. And the world is in much the same place today. Our society is much like the days of Noah. It's a very ungodly society. And so the same is true of the church today. We're, we're more or less in the same place that Noah was in, in his time. Because God, God warned Noah about something that was going to happen in the future. And Jesus told us he is coming back. But for centuries, he has not come back. And, and every generation has looked for him. And every generation has believed that Jesus would come back in their generations. It is true for centuries he is not coming back, but he is because he said he would. But people today, unbelievers, are just like Noah's day. They, they scoff, they, they mock at us, uh, they mock at the idea, oh yeah, you've been saying Jesus is coming back all these years, I've heard it all my life. Uh, he's not, he had, hadn't come back uh, last century. He, he won't come back this century either. You're just, you know, all that Bible stuff. We don't believe that. Um, true. People are doing the same thing today, but we need to be ready. We need to be prepared for his coming, just like Noah had to get prepared in his day. Yeah. We're in the same position. That's why we're here. That's why we're in church. We're not out doing, yeah, we, we have to keep ourselves in good shape um, so, that, so that we're ready. When he comes, if he, you know, Jesus said he'd come like a thief in the night, you know, uh, and, and that we will be ready when he comes because he is coming. So what are, what are you believing for? What are you expecting? How would we know that you're in faith about it? Because as far as you are able, you are preparing for it to happen, just like Noah did. I told you the story about the lady in our meetings uh, who wanted us to pray for her daughter who wanted to have another baby. And so we prayed for her, and then I told the mother to tell her daughter to start making preparations for this baby. And the mother said, well, I don't think she has faith to do that. And I said, okay, 
you start making pre preparation for this baby. You go out and you buy some baby clothes in advance, in faith, and she did. And several months later, she came back and said her daughter had just found out she was going to have another baby when the doctors had already told her she would never be able to have another one. And then after the baby was born, she, they brought the baby to our meeting and we got to see the baby. So uh, this, this, this is such an important part of faith. That's why I told the, the lady, start making preparations in advance in some way for this baby. You hadn't seen a baby. They hadn't even, you know, they've already told her she can't have one, but we, we believe God. And we believe she is going to have one because we prayed and we asked God and we believe God. Now start making preparation for it. So that's, that's why I told her, go buy these clothes, and she did. When I was believing for my Jeep, I, I had wanted a Jeep all, all my life, really since I was small, and uh, I started believing God for one here, and um, I started looking online at Jeeps, and um, I, felt, I felt like, okay, that's, a, that's an act of faith, but I needed to, to put, add some more faith, I need to take some more action in demonstrating my faith, and I found out that there was a Jeep Owners Club. So I joined the Jeep Owners Club when I didn't even have a Jeep. So what am I doing? I'm making preparation. I'm, I'm showing action. I'm putting some action to my faith before I even had a Jeep, I joined the Jeep Owners Club. It was just another way for me to get prepared for it to happen. It was another way to release my faith. The act of our faith is the victory that overcomes yes. the world. Amen. Amen.